welcome to episode 12 of Horse Heretics. I'm Neil. And I'm William. So we're going to complete Descent of Angels by Michael Scanlon today. We loved the first part, I think it's fair to say. And um, I was really, really looking forward to just finishing the book. And it, it was pretty tough for me to uh, wait a few weeks uh, in order so that I could read the book and still have it fresh for us talking. How was your week with uh, with Warhammer, Will? Uh, <laughs> yeah, good one, a good one. I was just going to say it pedantically, but I can understand why you would say it was Michael, because that would be the assumption, but the guy's name is Mitchell. Mitchell oh, Scanlon. okay, well. <laughs> I, it's just Scanlon is such an Irish name. Uh, the idea that there would ever be a, a person from Ireland called Mitchell is so foreign to me <laughs> and so impossible that uh, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but yeah, but but you're ab you're absolutely correct. This is um, for pedantically in insisting on on bringing that up and showing my ignorance. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing. This if this this podcast's about nothing if not total accuracy about everything. In <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> we have our own canon here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my my week in or two weeks in Warhammer has been pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, are, are you meaning just specifically with this book, or really like well, just just in anything? I mean, you all you did send me a link to some really hot merch <laughs> that, that that Black Library have been uh, foisting upon the world. Oh, yeah, um, I have actually. What, what that, was what was it? What was that shit? That's been a feature of my uh, last two weeks. Is that I've been frantically uh, clicking to try find out when and where that merchandise will become available to buy. Um, <laughs> you, you want it, but you're you're going to flatter yourself that you're ironically buying that tat. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I can't. I'm. I don't know. I'm not going to claim it's ironic or anything. But I genuinely want the. I want the coffee cup, right? I want that when I'm when I'm when I'm talking about these books in this podcast. This this is utter bullshit because you're gonna you're gonna be like, yeah. So I just went into the games workshop and it wasn't there, so I had to go on the train to Glasgow to the <laughs> to the next games workshop. And I went in to get the coffee cup, which I did get, and thank heavens I did get that. But I came away with I came away with six giant wall scrolls, uh a, a notebook bound uh in uh the flesh of a cow uh and, and with uh, the the sigil of the fuck it, I'm I'm draining i don't have words for any of this shite <laughs> you're gonna buy it all yeah I mean, what was the, the thing i liked i've forgotten what it was what was the thing that really put my teeth on edge there was <laughs> like editions really elaborate editions of books which came with like coins and whatnot. oh that was it oh my god there was a set of imperial medals that <laughs> for for battles that don't exist <laughs> For legions that don't exist. That's very disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, I, at the same time as hating it, I do want it, <laughs> but I don't. I don't want it. Like I, I, I couldn't have that in the house. Like it'd be <clears throat> shaming to me. But I do want it. <laughs> the, the, I did notice the calendars are now on sale, but for one week only. So you know, move quickly. By the time this podcast goes up you'll probably have about two days so um well i, I hope they're not just like a, a flip calendar surely the months can't be january february march surely it has to be like secundus or 
some <laughs> some elaborate Romanesque nonsense. It's done it as like Imperial years. <laughs> it's recorded. <laughs> yeah, and, and like it has to be called the Calendarulum <laughs> something, you know. Yeah. Um I actually yeah, there is a Horace Heresy one and it's got like <laughs> all the all the um you know, the art style of the covers, uh it's what you'll be getting every month, a different uh, one of the book covers, I think, Beautiful. rendered as a calendar. But anyway, uh, that's been part of my week in Warhammer. The other thing that uh, I wanted to mention, and I texted you about this, but there was a... Just going through my work Twitter account, there was... Um, work? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, how the hell did Twitter this turn up in my work uh, Twitter account? I mean, I suppose <laughs> I there is a lot of video game stuff on, on there, Twitter. so like... This must have overlapped somehow with that. But anyway, there was an author, a black library author called, I think is Mike Brooks, who it turns out I have now know that I've read one of his short stories and it was really good uh, about in this collection of Necromunda stories that I bought that I do think would actually be a good chat for a bonus sometime, somewhere down the line maybe. But um, anyway, it was really good. And anyway, he's got a new book out, which also coincidentally is one that I'd spotted was on the way and thought it sounded pretty cool because it's about the navigators. Um, oh, who, cool. If you remember, we had a chat in a recent episode about navigators just wanting to get radical, and uh, I thought <laughs> yeah. a, whole, a whole book about that could be could be quite unusual and quite interesting. Um, but anyway, there was this guy had tweeted about someone on Amazon giving him a one star, giving a one star review of his book because at one point in it, there's like a character who uses gender neutral pronouns um i think that was the issue and all these like right-wing goons were like uh, stop foisting your politics on me you know blah 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 uh, and they were literally their argument was literally like some of us like the fascism <laughs> stop trying to um <laughs> like some of Get us conservatives out of my fascism <laughs> Basically, that's it. Keep your good politics out of my fascism, or keep your like, um, or anything that was not their uh, worldview is like putting. Yeah, it's like. Sorry, I'm about to go on a rant here, but it's like that way of like this whole thing of like both sidesism and centrism always seems to like essentially just be a route in for these right wing arseholes. But uh, yeah. that's going can, off topic. I've got it. I've got it here. Can I can I read to you some of this review? I won't go through it all. Yeah, go ahead. Brooks opens his way. Uh, first off, he calls the author like by his surname, which is always the last resort of the the horrible. Brooks opens his way into writing Black Library material by attempting to cater to the political left, capital left, capital <laughs> L in left, in nonsensical gender dysphoric behaviours, which account for a large part of the anti-ethnocentric attitude of those to... <laughs> Fuck it <laughs> To those who want to subvert a more contemporary political climate, what? All this catering does is alienate those from a more conservative background who appreciate the brutality of the Imperium <laughs> <laughs> and the honesty in which it suggests mankind would one day inevitably fall into as a means of desperate survival in a universe far darker and colder than the world in which we live that permits such bizarre and tolerant behaviour counter to the idea which encompasses the setting. That's a sentence. Jesus. It's unfortunate that my... Re- 
<laughs> it's unfortunate that my review mentions exclusively the political elements of his book, but the mere fact that he included such political nonsense so blatantly kills the suspension of disbelief by producing concepts to the universe that directly act against the imperial creed. He's, he's saying that the author of a novel doesn't follow the imperial creed. <laughs> If Warhammer 40,000... No, this is where he really kills it. If Warhammer 40,000 is a satire to the futuristic hellscape, more akin to an Orwellian drama than Star Trek, then Brooks has succeeded in illustrating a dystopian future that no one could possibly be pleased with by enforcing tyrannical notions of gender dysphoria completely irrelevant to warfare or effective functioning in a completely utilitarian civilization made so is... I need to take breaks in this sentence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> were gender dysphoria completely irrelevant? No, I've, fuck it, I've lost the thread. I mean, we get, the, we get the impression, and it's real bad um, on a number of levels, <laughs> starting with the, with the writing. Um, uh, it's just like, like you said, there's a lot of words in it that are legit words to which the author sort of has, is in the vicinity of, you know, Using yeah. them in the right context, but it doesn't hold. It it's, doesn't it, hold together. Yeah, it's like he had a thought, was writing it, and then had a different thought and tried to make the sentence work for both. Yeah, and just yeah, he just couldn't quite wrangle those words just, into a coherent argument. But. Just tying himself in knots to try and provide some sort of intellectual underpinning to his stop putting things I don't like in my in my <laughs> books about shitty big men. Um, oh, sorry, Those was... of us who appreciate the brutality of the Imperium. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, but like, it's really quite fascinating the lack of like self-awareness that betrays. Like, and it, it's sort of, like, that's sort of what I was getting at. It's like, this sort of language of like centrism or like like uh, things being apolitical you know what i mean just being something mm. that's adopted by the far right to kind of say by saying something that opposes us you're being political but just leave it as it is which is the real way which is what we know the world is really like which is a horrible you know brutal yeah, ex- exactly as, as if the world has a natural state which is how it is in the in those of the far right you know the leave it as its natural state which is us on top kicking the shit out of anyone who disagrees with us um and anybody who wants to change it is a revolutionary well, one other like interesting thing about this was I, I looked down a few like some of the the tweets that people were um sending to like commenting on this to, to the author who this review is complaining about and um uh, one of them was sort of talking about how in how from an original starting point of being clearly satirical the the um warhammer 40,000 universe had become a bit more like whether unthinkingly or not um uncritical kind of of the had had lost that satirical commentary about the um kind of fascistic empire and 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 yeah it's just become a, a, a fist pumping you know, epic of of brutality. Well, I mean, the way the way that it seemed to me was like it's still the same stuff is still there. It just sort of seemed like as we've found, it's it's not really it's not really saying these things are good or bad. It's just kind of there, and it's sort of empty of that real a lot of the time of that real satirical um, 
sort of drive to it you know it's just kind of there yeah. and it's like let's enjoy the action and and you know that's kind of just what it's doing so i i wouldn't say that at least as far as i'm aware there's i don't think this comment was implying that there was any fascistic intent behind those decisions but um but they were the interesting thing was they were saying uh that there'd been discussions that they were going to be more actively bringing that sort of satirical bite uh, back to it so that was quite interesting that that would be really really interesting to read one of those then and maybe if if that book is part of that the book on the um, navigators that might be one that would be interesting to read fairly soon for sure yeah. um because it just like it we'll, we'll get to the book at some point i'm <laughs> sure <laughs> uh, uh, but it just like it just reminds me of um i don't know if you heard uh, uh an interview recently with one of ubisoft's ubisoft make video games um one of their writers and he was saying um, that he doesn't want to take a stance in a game, in the game that he wants. He wants to tell stories, but everybody tells their own story by playing the game. And I'm just like, that you, That just sounds so boring. I mean, if you, you can give a reader or a player or, or something like that, you can allow them to tell stories. But if, if you're not an author who wants to do something with a book or a creator wanting to make a game and wanting to say something wanting to do something what are you doing it for I know. Uh, and i just don't understand that that idea of not taking a position first of all, i don't even think it's possible to do that to make anything and not take a position but it just seems facile to claim that that's what you're doing it also seems to me i mean I completely understand the idea that a video game is a different form of storytelling. It's obviously an interactive medium, so the story is told through the inter- you know, the, the, through the interaction of the player with the system, um, mm-hmm. and obviously with the, the 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 theme that's been put into that system through the art and the music and um, dialogue or whatever. But um, but that system still has come about through a series of authorial choices essentially of the game's creators that create some that have allowed you to do certain things or not do other things so of course there's freedom within that but like trying to suggest that like um what game was this guy talking about in particular was it was it just uh well i think and this is the worst kind of example that you could really choose it's uh watchdogs legion <laughs> which uh which shows um which is set in london uh and allows you to like hack and there has been a sort of fascistic government takeover in this game and you're sort of fighting against them and if you think you can make authorial decisions and make a game in the, like this but also not take a stance then you're just he, well, frankly, he's just lying because he knows he he has to. If that's the kind of chat that's going on around that game, that's kind of a bit of a shame because that one did look like they were maybe going to actually go more boldly with having some sort of statement or you know just having a game be about something yeah. uh, in a more. You you also have to sort of take it with a, a sort of pinch of salt in that he was he's the lead on that game, so like he's making that game. I I have to think he doesn't really believe in what he's saying there because he's making a game but also he's talking to you know video game and journalistic outlets and he doesn't want to get on the wrong side of you know right-wing internet douchebags who will like yeah uh, review bomb the game or and he also wants to sell 
games in China as well. And I think that's a good uh, opportunity for us to segue into what happened with Hong Kong recently. Will, do you want yeah. to get into that? I mean, or should we just talk about? Well, it is, it is a it is a good link because it's um, it's basically it's capitalism <laughs> where these guys are like yeah, yeah. Shit, shit scared of like scaring off potential consumers, which means that they're shit scared of like gamergate types um and yeah. pander to them often by like not necessarily making games that conform with our v- worldview but um sort of chickening out of things that they i mean this is not across the board obviously their their games are getting better and in the big big games certainly there seems a fear of alienating that kind of crowd and then obviously you've got the specific example that um what was it hearthstone hearthstone and and uh uh, what are they? Bl- uh, Blizzard Activision um, kicking a guy, or like banning a guy for a year and taking ugh, thousands of dollars away in prize money anyway, and banning some streamers and stuff. But um, yeah, it's bullshit capitalism. It's uh, morality versus money. That's basically what it is. But shall we talk about Descent of Angels, or do you want to just like uh, do you want to just freestyle this one and? I maybe maybe we'll get to fucking Brexit, man. Shall we? Do- <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're twenty minutes in. Uh, no, let's. Talk, I do want to talk about Descent of Angels. <laughs> okay, okay. It's our primary it's, purpose in this. Uh, all right. Podcast. Well, you know, at some point, at some point, um, yeah. I'll, I'll, okay, I won't talk about Boris Johnson. Fine. <laughs> okay. Descent of Angels by Mitchell Scanlon. Yep. No, That's Mitchell it. Scanlon. Correct. Okay. Where did we leave it? We left the book. Uh, it was brilliant. And uh, the the Order had just destroyed uh, the Knights of Lupus and killed Sartana. And uh, that was basically where the first half left off. Yeah. We return. There was a very good line kind of just starting off. The world of Caliban still turned, life went on as before, and the knights of the order moved closer to ultimate domination until the angels arrived. The lion is out with uh, Zahariel and Namiel and the, the sort of top echelons of the order, ready to kill the last of the forest beasts that have preyed upon the world of Caliban, at which point these flying well, their uh, ships fly over and these are the first signs of intergalactic travel or, you know, interplanetary travel uh, that these people have ever seen. And it is the the first legion, the soldiers who will go on to fight as the Dark Angels. I've got a note to myself saying, is it inevitable that things become hammy and stupid when the space marines appear? Are they wholly resistant to any attempt to make them well written? Good question. <laughs> um, uh, I would say, I, but I, I was thinking the same thing because before this, the first half of the book, which we loved, nary a space marine, no nothing, and I was like, oh, well, when the space marines turn up, is this going to be shit? And I'll spoil it. No, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, on the whole, it was pretty good. There was just there was a, a few bits where I was like, oh, it's just gonna become not as good anymore but i i have i have um noted down a question which i'll ask you neil is are space marines both the most iconic and the worst thing about this setting (laughs) uh well that's that's funny because i was sort of thinking about this in that 
we've we've given a lot of these writers shit for bad characters and you know they're all the same and all of this stuff and i i wonder if we've been too harsh because they are all the same you know they've been made to be all the same it, yeah it feels like they've just been lumbered with too much you know the weight of too much shit from perhaps the game that is it's too iconic to get rid of it's also and <laughs> I, it, it's like they're, they're impossible books to write it's an impossible story to tell without them i suppose but they are they look the same they're you know it's they're just shit it's also by their nature they've had like a lot of the basic sort of human drives removed by becoming space marines the stuff that would be the sort of bread and butter of writing characters a lot of it has been is not allowed to these writers so yeah i think you make yeah, a good yeah. point like the, yeah totally because like they're okay <laughs> you uh, i'm giving you this this play set of characters brilliant what's so great about them is they're amazing at war they're they're superhumans amazing i love it I can't, i'm already starting to think about their uh, their internal conflicts. Ha ha! No, no <laughs> conflicts. We bred that out of them. Nary a conflict. Uh, I, uh, well, I mean, if they're always going into battle against monsters, I suppose they'll have fear. No fear. No fear. <laughs> yeah, they don't yeah. feel fear. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So they don't. They don't really. They don't have fear for the most part. They. They don't really have families because they kind of like. It was actually done quite well in this book. Like talking about Zahario because obviously Zahario becomes a space marine in the course of this book and uh, and sort of just talked about the way that his kind of memory of the time before just kind of faded you know yeah um, and uh, so they don't have yeah, they don't really have fear they don't have families they don't have a sex drive um, no what else unless um, you know the, unless there is like a special room on the ship that you know remembrancers aren't allowed into <laughs> if you can imagine looking just being followed by like mercedes uh just being followed around and like uh the other one like taking photos and stuff and them getting to door and he goes no not in here <laughs> this is this is just for me and my brothers <laughs> Um, open, opens up, opens up the door just a little bit and sort of squeezes through. It's like he's like his brother in a gimp mask. Just, just go, hey, it's Loken, everybody. It's like there's so much sex in that room that outside of it, like there's there. <laughs> I mean, it's like they just get it all done, all sets, like, all, <laughs> like so there's all like there's no there's nothing left for them to so on the outside they just appear to be completely without sex in their life <laughs> exactly but the remembrancers asking them questions like do you have a sex drive and they go if you only knew if you only knew what happened in that room maybe someday somebody will write a book about that this book is not the one anyway back to this back to the story um <laughs> So the Imperials come down and they basically immediately, they're, they're welcomed with open arms. This is the sort of uh, fulfillment of Caliban's old stories and the, the proof that humanity does exist and that Terra exists. And they're told about the Emperor and of the Great Crusade and they're completely on board. <coughs> and at this point, it, it's um, it's kind of a very good depiction of colonialism really just stamping out everything 
around it. it there was a, a line that said, the Imperials had no way of knowing what the name the people before them had given to their world, nor could they know of Caliban's culture. And it was like, well, yeah, they couldn't have known, but they could have learned it. Yeah, They wouldn't even call it Caliban. And the the rest of this part of the book is all about them changing the culture of Caliban, trying to stamp it out, and changing the physical nature of of Caliban yeah. in, in order to like prepare a big um, entrance for the emperor. And the, yeah, like they were they immediately set about pretty much immediately set about ripping up forests and yeah, like as is is their want like making massive flat landscapes for people to land on for ceremonies <laughs> yeah exactly that exactly that and we join Zahariel and Nemiel again and they're like jabbing each other and they get they get into a basically a a, a race they're just running around the track which oh, is yeah. very unusual for these for these things but they're so like they 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 just run each other into the ground and which Zahariel who until this point had been the sort of hero is a complete dick and starts lapping Nemiel and like really sort of rubbing it in. They get to the end of the race and Nemiel continues running because he's got another lap to run. So he's he's sort of, you know, that's quite bloody-minded. That's like reasonable, I would have thought of him. I, yeah. uh, but Zahariel, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I've got a note from around about this point saying Nemiel's actually starting to seem like the good one here out of these two. Yeah, Whereas like totally. in the first half it was like he was setting up to be the a little bit anyway, like he was kind of gonna be the chaos sort of one. But um anyway. But I so. always uh, w- w- we did mention it uh, in the first half though that it 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 wasn't painted in such black and white no, obvious no, ways. No. And th- there there were points in the first half as well where Zahariel did look like a, a bit of a twat as well. Uh and I think this this is obviously much more of a uh, of a sort of uh, flip around but um but no it, it it still works i think uh this race draws the attention of uh this is going to be one of those names where we argue about pronunciation i think <laughs> um uh, the attention of brother librarian israfael or israfael either, either or forward? yeah i don't think i even like you just you just saw it and just went nope. You know that way like you 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 just haven't thought about pronouncing a word really until you like when you're reading it you yeah. just it's yeah you don't think of it. It's a shape. Yeah. yeah so I, I say it's Raphael because is Raphael didn't quite sound right to me. But anyway, the librarian explains that he he sees something in Sahariel and sort of uh, prods at him a little bit and gets him to open up about his um, his X-ray vision and. Um, he talks to him about be- that he's a psyker and has the power of the warp in him. At, at this point, he sort of uh, he, he goes into a, a bit of uh, exposition. He teaches Zahariel about the thousand years ago of man's spread, man's dominion over the galaxy. And um, they spread in this sort of era of high technology. And that's when settlers came to Caliban until uh the age of strife or what has been called old night split them up we don't we don't really know what old night is though that that's a question that i sort of wrote down at this point is what is the age of strife what is old night what caused this uh galaxy faring race to turn into 
split up cultures that didn't even have spacefaring technology yeah, I until the emperor came. I, the stuff I've read about it is fairly non-specific. And, and yeah, that whole bit of exposition was like something that probably would have been quite helpful. Like, I, I was I was thinking, should something like this have been the first book in the series? Um, you know, like, but because they kind of started off in media res, like in yeah. basically it's a, this big stuff's about to happen. And now back to this book, which not to well, kind of to spoil what's coming in this book, but you're listening to this podcast anyway, so it's about to be spoiled. So um, the- we've always had such strict rigor. Uh, before this and you're just going to really just spoil it now <laughs> no, I was just I was just going to say that this book doesn't really actually despite being I think we'd both agree the best book so far it doesn't oh, yeah. it's like in terms of the central narrative up till now it's kind of pretty much entirely inessential unessential inessential yeah. in, sorry inessential yeah, um, Honest, yeah. something <laughs> unnecessary uh, yeah. but yeah but it I'm totally fine with that. Don't yeah. care because the, the central plot hasn't really grabbed me yet. So. <laughs> no, I just mean like if it started with something like this and you're seeing this sort of prehistory mm. and then you move towards the later bit. I don't know. But anyway. So I've I've written down a few a few pieces here that um sort of show how Caliban and the, the culture changes. It says, freed from the tyranny of the beasts, the people of Caliban had the leisure to devote their attentions to the betterment of their society, utilizing technology brought by the Imperium to clear vast tracts of land for agriculture, open rich seams in the mountains to produce stronger metals, build more efficient manufacturing facilities, and lift them from the dark age in which they'd been living to a more enlightened age of illumination. Um, So that's, I mean, that's the appeal. Um, But it, it doesn't sound as if they're given any time in order to achieve that golden age but but the uh, whole the whole idea of that is just colonial in its own sense in, its, yeah. in itself anyway where they're like oh no like we're going to show you how it's done this is this is uh you've, you've just all been mis- you know you haven't had a clue what you're doing up till now this is um, yeah it's uh, industrialization isn't it it's like uh, them telling the calibanites that oh you'd have got here at some point that that there is only one sort of path yeah yeah we're just going to speed you up we're going to help you get to where is the better place to be because you know yeah um that's according to them you know yeah that's that was always the excuse that the british empire had going into africa just saying like uh yeah we've we've taken your country but you know you can you can join our our industrial revolution if you want yeah uh except you don't have a choice you have to we learned that the knightly orders, which was um, the way that the society had really organized itself, were disbanded and brought under the rule as one under the legion. So these old barriers, these old self-imposed barriers at least, were um, were changing and were inflicted upon them. Um, and we find some characters later on, slightly later, uh, that were... Uh, unhappy at these changes. Yeah, um, that that's pretty much comes up around about now. Is this the sort of plotters yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, um, it, it started with Namiel and Sahariel on on sort of guard duty, and they both slightly. Uh, it just it seemed really an, a natural chat where they're just like, yeah, yeah, no, things are better, things are better. But the, do you feel a, a bit of regret at what we've lost and? 
the other one was like, yeah, yeah, I suppose I do. I suppose I do. And then Namiel said, ha, well, let me introduce you to some real weirdos. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. Sorry, they have this like quite innocuous chat. And then, then they literally go down a darkened staircase. People in the shadows literally plotting a massive terrorist attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and like before before they meet, like they go down this like staircase and Nemiel goes, Mate, put your hood up. And I go, What? Put your hood up. We're trying to look really dark and shadowy. <laughs> and these people you meet are gonna be they're really weird. <laughs> So, so, so let's go and see him. And in the in the end, it, it turns out that there are like a few. I think there's yeah, there's four of them, all hooded, um, and they're all from representatives of different former uh, knightly orders. Well, it doesn't say and who they are, though, does it? Or, or I think you it doesn't say who they one are, of them but, is, but but it says Zahariel realizes. And then, so, so yeah, yeah, I know it's it's like totally true. This just escalates super fast from their like conversation. Um, but, uh, but 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 yeah, like it is. It's a bit strange, but um, they they they're talking about how they're actually invaders and that they're actually quite clever. These invaders because they're not, they're somehow making the Calibanites go along with them, go along with their own subjugation. And they say, imagine if they had been more honest and their intentions had been made clear from the first that they intended to invade us. All Caliban would have risen up in arms, but instead they were more subtle, claiming that they came to help us. They say they are our lost brothers, and we welcome them with open arms. It is a cunning stratagem, <laughs> which is a good line. <laughs> By the time the majority of our people realise what has really been going on, it will be too late to change things. The oppressor's boot will already be at our throat, and we will have helped put it there. And like, I agree with all of that. Like That is exactly what's happened. But you can't really be on these people's side because the only thing they care about is that um, the knightly orders have been disbanded and that they've lost their position of yeah. of uh, power over the planet and they've <coughs> lost the ability to like ride around on horses and, and look cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I, did, I don't know if we said before, but like at this point they're anticipating the emperor himself is coming to Caliban. Yeah, yeah, that's why they're clearing out a very big, very flat area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the, uh, the emperor is so powerful, but he does need a big flat area. Yeah, always a huge clearing, and it has to be really flat. The emperor, a continent, that, that like, because if he falls over, he just can't get back up. <laughs> um, but like this bit where these porters are speaking, there's a there's like a a paragraph that ends with. So they're saying what they're planning to do, and it's like, so they're like, to kill a serpent, you must you cut off its head. Yeah. This is how you'll realize the truth a moment before the others. You can't mean, and the guy says, precisely, answered the fourth man, we must kill the emperor. And I was like, that's the kind of thing we would write in one of our... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it. It, it. it was It was good. Although I think... Yeah, they tr they try and suicide bomb the emperor, which is really boring. We would have done it better than that. Like when well, we killed Corn, we we <laughs> cut him up from inside and made him cut his, his own head off. Well, I mean, yeah, for a start, the emperor would have definitely actually died in our story. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spoilers, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, also, like, this is a total non sequitur. But there was just this really weird bit of dialogue after this, where they they come out of this, and um, uh, Nemio, ne- what it says, well, that was intense," said Nemio. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think that was intense? And I was <laughs> something so weird just really stuck out with me. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted um, when I read that, I just wanted the other one to go. Yeah, it was intense, wasn't it? Oh, it's so intense. <laughs> <laughs> that shit was intense. Uh, yeah. um, anyway, so the Emperor, is that well, what we're getting to now? Yeah, well, we don't see him arrive. We just see the clearing. We see uh, all, like, thousands of legionaries. All the people of Caliban have come to watch. And Zahariel is progressing along with uh, the lion and with the chosen um, of the order, or well, the former order that are now the 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 blood or the dark angels. Although I don't think they've been called that yet. I've, I've, and Zahariel sees one of these these good for nothing people in the robes in the crowd, see, or at least he has a sort of premonition that it's him. Just before we get onto that bit of the story there's a few I have a few notes from this section uh, one of these i thought was really good uh so it's a, there's one of these uh one of the first legion space marines is called midris right mm-hmm. and there was this brilliant bit of description of him that i i was seemed to me like it was accidental charles dickens right it was something that charles dickens would write but only by accident oh nice so uh, <laughs> describes this guy midris says Midras had arms and legs like the great trees of the North Wales, and the muscles of his shoulders rose to either side of his cranium, rose to either side of his cranium without apparent recourse to a neck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is that is funny. That is a good line. Like, yeah, but it's, it, did you not think it's like something you'd see in a Charles Dickens? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. The, the yeah, the shoulders had. Um, in order to join with the head, he had to make recourse of a neck. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the phrasing of it was really sort of yeah. Victorian. Yeah. Um, and then there was a really good line after that where someone was talking about the emperor. and wait, Well, we haven't it? seen the emperor yet. No, no, but he... someone was just talking about All right. Someone's talking about um so it's just talking about an exciting hubbub filled the air for you could not want to see a being of such magnificence that he could command the likes of the Astartes and inspire such, inspire such devotion in them. A being with a vision, drive, and power to set on the reconquest of the galaxy was surely to be revered, and perhaps even feared, for what singular purpose of violence must surely lie at his heart. And I thought that was a good line. Like, I mean, that's, that is, yeah. sh- surely that is. Like, that's a dictator. Yeah. Um, and then there was a really bad line. <laughs> oh dear. Where, uh, you know, we we said, we, we, we think this book's well written on the whole, yeah? Yeah, um, and, totally. Um, I just thought, yeah, this was a, this was a, a, a bad line though um, so it's Zahario and, it, and as so often where his books fall down it's when they're trying to describe Primarchs so he's talking about, he's looking at the lion and he's kind of realising afresh how um, impressive he is and he says each time he looked at the lion he felt exactly the same sensation a sheer mass of presence that seemed to press inside his skull by some mystical osmosis to create a feeling of well-being and trust Oof. I mean that's not yeah. a sheer massive presence, um, yeah. and then uh, like immediately it goes on to like when it comes to these bits especially less is more I definitely think so like you're talking about, it says 
on the next page it's continuous description it just says oh he felt oh i was like just leave it at that you know like yeah. just, um <laughs> yeah. in trying to just rather than trying to decide, describe something that they sort of say is indescribable themselves just let the reader like fill in the blanks you know just um give yeah them a I suppose, direction. yeah awe is a very difficult thing to describe and when authors do it well they 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 talk about somebody's in, internal life you know they talk about what has happened to the person who's seen this thing who's feeling awe but instead we are meant to sort of attach the awe to the body of a primarch and that just doesn't quite work yeah. because you know the primarchs are also fairly boring and <laughs> so all we're left with is people jizzing themselves every time they see a primarch and it's just not that interesting and just like the author's getting tied in knots trying to yeah just find yeah, some way to trying get to it. do it in a different way but at the same time describe just how good a prime how great it is to be beside a primark yeah it's, i definitely yeah, it's think tough. when it's just kept more sparse the writing in these areas it's, it's better but um yeah anyway the emperor descends so, on a fort and say <laughs> yeah 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 the um the emperor makes himself known by approaching in a giant golden spaceship <laughs> and, and at which point Zahariel saves well saves nobody uh, because the suicide bomber doesn't get to explode his bomb. Um, Midris picks him up, almost crushes the life out of him, and cut to him waking up, Zahariel waking up on a ship. He can tell somehow that he's not on the planet anymore, that he's on a ship. Um, and he's taken by uh, Israfael and uh, a, a light sort of airy type of torture is uh, applied to him uh, he is fully tortured um but it's made to be oh okay he he feels all right about it i mean this is it's not remotely surprising but i think this is the first time it's been made explicit that the emp the empire the imperium uses torture uh, yeah but it's not at all surprising um but yeah they think he's a they think even though he went to stop the the guy that was trying to bomb the emperor, they think he was part of it initially, at least. Yeah. So with the small, uh, the application of a small amount of torture, uh, they get him to spill the beans about everything, about going to meet those people, <clears throat> about why he didn't tell uh, anybody about it. Although he doesn't tell anybody about Nemuel's presence because he doesn't want to drop his cousin in it. Uh, so good for him but the the emperor thanks him uh, and this is really the first point where we hear anything about the emperor at all but it's very short and we don't get much of a description of him he just says that uh, he thanks him but that he's going to have to wipe his memories yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I suppose it does like it sort of has a reasonably neat explanation for why it doesn't describe the emperor in detail here because it says like it's like zahario can't actually look oh, directly yeah. at him physically can't look at him hard cut at this point to i think a few years later and uh, zahario and namiel are standing in a crowd and they have been the chosen few of uh, the best of caliban knights um and they are going to be made into astartes yeah so that's that's a good point this is they are going to be made into astartes and they were 
they were even some of the older they were i don't know like by that point like 15 16 or something and they yeah, were something like amongst that. the older that were chosen for that um so so they were only to to do the sort of process of putting the gene seed in them to make them into space marines they had they had to be younger so there's people like the people that were the more senior members of the knightly order they are kind of it's quite it's quite interesting the way this they're they're still going about as part of the dark angels often in leadership positions but they have not been able to be enhanced yeah, into space and, marines uh, uh, Hadariel and Luther are two of those people. Yeah, and they they do have positions of power. And later on, you will hear discussions uh, between other legions and the Dark Angels, saying like, "Why do you have these people around ordering Astartes around? Is it like condescension or something like that?" And um, you can tell that the uh, the older knights who couldn't be uh, part of the Dark Angels really feel that sense of inferiority big time yeah yeah so yeah at this point the the lion gives uh, a speech and uh, names them dark angels for the first time and says from from this day forth you will forget your past life from this day forth you are a warrior of the legion nothing else of, is of consequence the legion is all that matters and that's just how fucking terrible it is <laughs> this process is just like you only start being of worth whenever you are a member of you know the the ruling class basically um and they everything that has made them all calibanite culture all the calibanite relatives and the, the stories they told aren't worth shit because you're now part of the the imperium which is better than everything that you've had before yeah you're right this cut ahead seemingly a few years and they've been out and about as part of the crusade colonizing planets i guess um and then the the situation that is going on at the time the story picks up again is that they are to go to a system that um they're to take over from the white scars seemingly just because the white scars were sick of it and bored uh, and yeah the, the white scars are another space marine legion yeah i'm um, sorry and and they're so they were trying to um bring a bring another planet to compliance right but as another system and the the this the problem seemed to be not that there were there was violent resistance from this system but just that everything was getting held up because this <laughs> this is a planet this is of a, brilliance <laughs> now i think that the space marines they, they really don't like chaos but worse than chaos is the bloody bureaucrat. Well, it is. It is because a lot of them choose chaos over over the bureaucrats. Or because of the bureaucrats. That's right. Because of them. Literally because of them. And this, this planet is great because it is literally 25% of its population are part of the bureaucracy. Because to defer taxation, you can start working as part of the bureaucracy. <laughs> so, so it's like it's like any other author would write twenty five percent of the planet were crazed monsters with huge vicious fangs, but no, twenty five percent of these are tax collectors. <laughs> but it's, it outlines all the like different uh, roles they have, and it says there's one hundred eighty million, so twenty five percent comes out as 180 million bureaucrats in this planet um i thought this bit was like good i thought 
this whole. I, I, from, I loved it. I'm I'm ripping on it, but I thought this is really fascinating. From now, yeah, from now until the end of the book, I thought it was all really good, and I thought this was another good example of Mitchell Scanlon. He's basically, well, actually, the first half of the book was really quite different from anything else that we'd had so far in the series, but the second half of the book starts to go over some more familiar types of situations. But I think just like almost every time we encounter one of those things, types of situations we've seen before, Mitchell Scanlon just does it better. And yeah, and this planet is a good example. Wait, there's lots already in the series. We had quite a lot of, you know, new systems that the that a Space Marine Legion is coming to, and either fighting with or negotiating with or whatever. And this one was just really well described. Like there's little details. Like so, I think the the way we get some of this description is that there's a remembrancer character who's a like not a major character in the book but she comes into it around about this point and she's having a conversation with one of the um someone from this planet um a bureaucrat this, a bureaucrat probably a, a bureaucrat i mean bureaucrat. one in one in four chances, <laughs> one in four chances. <laughs> <laughs> so uh uh and, and there's this little detail about how there's no public lighting on this planet but everyone was given like three glow globes that float yeah. around them. So there's this view. You could look out across the city at night and you would just see all these lights moving around and it was just an amazing sight. And I thought it was just a really neat bit of detail there, you know, like um, quite yeah, yeah. vivid. And where, where, where other authors have done like a, a pretty good job of describing like landscape and architecture and stuff, this that is done too, but you also get, a sort of structure of the society as well i the glow globes as well like we don't need street lighting because you've all got your own autonomous light source that goes with you or the fact that sort of the, the there's a bit of a discovery made by the dark angels and it's done through census data yeah, and yeah. it's just really sort of interesting it's like fun sort of almost like noiry type feel to it uh, like a detective novel almost uh, sometimes rihanna that that remembrancer she's led down a dark street and she sort of gets slightly drunk on music and the person the the bureaucrat who's leading her about sort of pushes her down some back streets uh but at which point she's captured by lizard men so that's <laughs> i guess where <laughs> that's i guess where the the sort of Dashiell Hammett type noir novel stops, I guess. But I, I did actually think that bit was really quite well written as well. It was really sinister, actually. Like, it was, that's, I've I've got written down good good scenes of weird tension. Yeah, it was just like sinister is a good word for it, and just really uh, like a, a bit of sort of horror writing. It was really effective. Um, yeah, and um, I actually thought like this whole bit was was well done, and just occurred to me like. So you quite often the, the the worlds the systems that the the Imperium is coming to in these stories are really quite utopian, like in their in how they're presented. You know, this is usually these beautiful planets or cities. Sometimes that they're they're depicted to be sort of you know have really diverse and interesting cultures and everything, and and almost they reminded me of like they made me think of like stuff you would maybe get in other types of sci-fi, you know, and then. Um, it's like the sci-fi of Warhammer 40k is literally coming along to to destroy <laughs> destroy this other type of sci-fi <laughs> and replace it with a grim darkness of like there only being war. Um, yeah. 
But I thought like this conversation that um or this discussion that goes on with I can't remember if this is all just through the conversation between Rihanna and what was the guy called she's talking to? Dusan. Dusan. Um and it feels like I almost felt there was quite actually a subtle, well articulated critique of the Imperium going on in this. But then like you kind of just know underneath it all going to go down the route of them being evil and as you said uh, rihanna gets led down i think there's like plants that are sort of releasing some sort of intoxicating spores or something and she goes down um this way and then these two people appear in masks but well they're not people they're moving in a weird way and we find out later that they are yeah giant lizard man but we should go back to the the census data point because um not only was it a sort of really cool way and really unusual way of finding out and foreshadowing something that will happen later in the plot, but it's important um, that they found that 70 million people, according to the census, have just sort of gone missing over 10, 10 years. In terms of like, you know, obviously we've got our killing corn idea, but if you really wanted to do something subversive in the context of this fiction, it'd be a st- an entirely peaceful story. Um, and that's this book actually comes reasonably close to that. Yeah. I mean, there is obviously some fighting in it, but we don't really have so much of the like half the book being a massive war type of thing that usually happens. And and I think Mitchell Scanlon can actually pull it off, and because often these books are like they can be like a really quite boring first half with characters that aren't very good building up to something, and then like a quite exciting, albeit one dimensional second half where it's just like loads of action. Yeah, and it's also good uh, good point to say that this planet of hated bureaucrats are foiled by their own bureaucracy. So what does that say, Amazon reviewer? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it says. <laughs> but anyway, um, there is uh, the the Dark Angels have found that they are also struggling with the bureaucracy, just like the White Scars were. Uh, But they have the leader of this government sort of come up from the planet's surface and meet with the lion um, on board one of their ships. And he insists on coming by his own ship. And it is this, like, crate of a thing. It's not been used for, like, a century. (laughs) Which it hasn't been used for a century. And they're just like, we have to sort of fix it in order for the the leader of our culture to go up and meet these powerful humans and they sort of dance around each other and say like we we really hope that we can come to an agreement and uh, in the end this the governor of the planet just like faces up to the lion and says um that in fact they have gods they have them in their wild places and that they're called the melanchim or the melachim and that no no society can make claims to be righteous if it does not acknowledge the primacy of divine power, it says. At uh, which point, Luther gets very mad. Luther basically cuts him in half. Uh, no, sorry, uh, the lion no, cuts him in half. The lion does. Um, but uh, I thought this bit was really funny because like, obviously we find out soon enough that he's there, the way he, like what he's there to do is blow them all up, basically, or you know attempt yeah. to. Um but it was really funny the way this guy just turns up and he's just like being really rude to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, it was it was good. At first, they're just sort of like, oh, it's like he obviously just doesn't understand that this is a sensitive issue or whatever. Yeah. But for I can't remember how, but Zahariel and Luther are alone on the landing deck, 
and they sort of have a look at this tub of a, a ship and Luther sees something and looks very strange and Zahariel goes, oh, Luther, you look, you've gone pale. What's gone on? And Luther says, ah, it's nothing. Anyway, you go on, be about your business. And Zahariel goes, oh, that's a bit weird, but okay. And then walks away. And then luckily, luckily enough, he has a premonition that something has, something terrible is about to happen. He runs back and re-examines the ship where Luther was looking and sees that uh, there is a an extra panel, yeah, sort of welded onto it apparently, uh, apparently. And he wrenches it off and finds this big nuclear bomb. At which point, like, it all happens so quickly. Luther sort of reappears <coughs> and just goes, yeah, I'm really sorry. I, uh, I was just going to leave that. <laughs> just gonna let it <laughs> i knew it was a bomb i was just gonna let it happen but i'm not gonna do that anymore because that would be very bad uh he explains himself i wanted to but then i thought of what would be mine if i didn't the legion command caliban it would all be mine and i would no longer have to share it with someone whose shadow obscures everything i do so it's his jealousy and uh desire for his own reputation and to be recognized very like horace essentially like yeah and i i thought this was actually quite good i mean we're 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 laughing at it but like um i thought like in terms of like giving you the tension the 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 the, he's feeling or giving you a sense of that and like and also putting zahario in this really difficult situation where he well he doesn't really go into this but you know you're thinking he's probably thinking well luther was maybe going to do that but he didn't but it still led to problems that might not have otherwise happened and a lot of people dying so you're kind of but he sort of he does acknowledge at one point the the massive problem that this would kick off if he said something about it basically but also that luther like you know i guess just in terms of like the depictions of betrayal we've had sometimes in the past sometimes it's basically like oh it can be a demon yes yeah you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah whereas this is actually was I mean, it's not like it's really well drawn out in a long term sense, but this sense that he sort of thinks about it and then he doesn't. Um, uh, well, I, this is, yeah, like this is jumping ahead a little bit, but at the end of the book, uh, once everything has been sort of resolved, the lion says that he's splitting up the Legion because he's not happy at the speed of recruitment that's happening back on Caliban and he needs the. Uh, the legion to be replenished with new troops so he sends um zahariel and luther and some of the other space marines away uh back to caliban and this is obviously a a great a great strain on the space marines being sent away from this you know this father figure that they have that they they're going to miss but it's you can see what position the lion is in in this point because he, he he learns of of what luther was going to do he but, sort of sees it in him but it's kind of like it's really intriguing this actually like and because this is right at the end of the book this occurs and and it it did leave me really intrigued to see what happens next and how um on what basis uh the lion had made a decision uh to do that and, and like how he'd identified what luther had done but also how he knew Zahario knew about it and all these things like it, it did yeah, kind that, of make me curious about it well th- that I think may disappoint you because I think it may just be waved away like hand waved away that the lion can see through you know a man's 
soul to yeah you know that i think is probably what's going to happen you have to i think it's a interesting position that he's in because if he does know that luther had this flash where he was just going to let him be killed then yeah he's not somebody that you want to have at your back but also he knows that it's not going to end well by splitting up these people and um sort of weakening his strength and you know causing these conflicts within the legion so it's it's more interesting than any other kind of mistake that uh primarchs have made because i can sort of see why luther made this decision whereas every other primarch's decision in all the other books i just think this primarch's a fucking idiot yeah like, the wine you mean yeah sorry because yeah you said luther but yeah of course oh, sorry, sorry yeah, yeah yeah um no, you're right, it is an interesting, but it does, like, because of, as we said in the last episode, at the start of the, in, like, the prologue to the book, it it sort of talks about this great betrayal by Luther, and yeah. that, like, obviously, yeah, he's had this moment of thinking about weaving the bomb and stuff, but it seems pretty obvious that the, 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 the great story of the betrayal hasn't happened yet, and it did leave me intrigued to find out um, what that story is is and d- i mean d- and, and and it's not just uh old luther found out that he could, he could become a demon it's we we have the whole story of luther's entire life knowing that he could have been the greatest person on the planet and then finding out that oh no i live at the same time as the lion and then sort of he screws the lion here but then the lion screws him right back and it sort of builds atop each other and like most real betrayals it's not as simple as a well no betrayal really <laughs> involves becoming a demon in real life <laughs> uh, not now that i think about it um but you, you know what i mean it just it's it's more believable because it is more there are more realistic stakes i was gonna i was gonna reveal my demon who for the halloween episode neil but um, oh no <laughs> well, <laughs> n- well now you've spoiled that we can get on with, <laughs> with um with just sort of tying up the loose ends um <laughs> the loose ends being a the, giant monster <laughs> the loose ends being a giant eye monster um so yeah uh, at the same time as um the the bomb on the ship explodes but sahariel's find it and he's thrown it out into space the there are some uh sort of highly coordinated attacks by the sarushi on the imperials on the planet and they take lots of prisoners uh, and then there is a, a a very shit bit where they realize there's some psychic buildup and they localize it to a, a point on the planet and um god they make like a psychic bomb and you're just like this is where this is some magical bullshit no you know? but, uh, you're right like it was a total dsx machina let's just like there's a psychic thing there's a psychic bomb to bring us to this point but like rather than like reading three like really boring chapters just to get to that point i was like not that i'm saying it, like the way he's written the chapters haven't been boring i don't mean that but just i mean like rather than just like working through some unnecessary uninteresting plot i was almost appreciative that it was just like yeah let's just bring this right to the i suppose so climactic suppose scene but yeah true. it was a bit silly it was just like yeah we've made a big warp bomb that we kind of guide with our minds and (laughs) (laughs) so they go down and it's uh they're at the mouth of a sort of mine shaft uh at which point uh 
Perold Atius, the bookish one from the the previous part of the book, is attacked by uh, some some sort of razor sharp limbed wolf monster. Is this not like one of these uh, things that had that were behind the masks when Rihanna was led? Oh away? yeah, it's yeah. like a big wizard sort of reptile thing you're, you're, that runs really fast you're you're right i'm i'm ashamed of myself it's a lizard <laughs> monster it's not a wolf monster <laughs> and um there's a nasty bit of gore like his face is like melting off or something oh like. yeah and yeah like um no it's it's being it spits something at him or, or something and it's melting through his mask at which point zahariel grabs the mask and like a big bit of his face comes off with it it's nasty yeah it's nasty um, I, th- th- I've got this is the only really good quote that I've got written down I think from this entire book and I was really worried that we, I was going to go all the way without getting one but I got one right at the end Okay, it says for all their speed and ferocity the ghost like monsters could not hope to stand against the relentless stoicism of the dark <laughs> angels <laughs> yeah I noticed that one relentless stoicism <laughs> what does that mean I think those two words are diametrically opposed stoicism can't be relentless <laughs> relentless stoicism i feel like that's oh. what like you know that's what uh, uh no i was going to do a mick mccarthy joke but we could just skip <laughs> that um uh, we, should, we should do a poll of our listeners or something and find out do <laughs> listeners do you know who jim beglin and Nick McCarthy are because if, if so you do, do you want content related? <laughs> we've got a whole new podcast for you because we, <laughs> we, <laughs> we spend most of our time talking about Nick McCarthy and Jim Peglin but I fear that most people won't find that interesting I mean, most people won't find it interesting in the whole population but if you're seeking the Venn diagram crossover point between you know Horace Heresy fans and uh and you know people that are interested in talking about Jim Beglin and Mick McCarthy, then you're probably looking at a very tiny, very <laughs> tiny sliver of humanity. Uh, but um, if we find them, my God, we need to start monetizing this because because <laughs> my God, somehow we've, we we find the perfect <laughs> perfect means of of finding them. <laughs> but listen, listen um, let's let's fucking get on with this shit. Let's do, finish off this book. They, they go to this mine, old mine, they fight a few of the lizard things, they defeat them through the relentless stoicism, <laughs> they um, go down into the mine, and this is where all the people that we they found out through the census data uh, had disappeared, this is where their, all their dead bodies are, um, and uh, there's a bit of fighting with some of the s- smaller monsters, the lizard creatures, and uh they're doing a, a ritual here with um, Rihanna, the the woman, the remembrancer woman that was taken away. Uh, there is a ritual going on here in which they're trying to. There's like a massive demon on the roof of this cave. <laughs> this is mine. Like that's how I saw it. Anyway, it was it was. Yeah, no, I, me too. It? Um, it's it's. I, I did unfortunately see it as like Slimer. <laughs> from from the Ghostbusters, because it is a big a big transparent jelly monster. Yeah, well, that's like these things they're fighting. They're kind of like they are physical, but they have this sort of immaterial dimension to them. That it talks about, and especially this giant monster on the roof, which like they talk about seeing like 
start it is actually quite well described to be honest like, i thought it was it was pretty good for such a they it did a pretty good job of just the sh- describing the sheer weirdness of this thing yeah and they're trying to do some ritual to bring this like fully into the physical world somehow through the by using um rihanna as a host but just as this is happening zahariel shoots rihanna i mean she at this point she wants to be released from the torture basically and he shoots yeah. her which interrupts the process of um the big monster thing she explodes <laughs> yeah and then so this has stopped the monster from taking physical form but there's sort of like rips in reality around about the place through <laughs> yeah through which massive rips in reality <laughs> you say i mean let's face it that is as well as you can describe that because <laughs> yeah. there is no way that any human being can picture that so there's kind of yeah like there's these like tears presumably leading to the warp that through which come giant tentacles of different sizes and <laughs> shapes. Yep. Um, and then they, so they fight these giant tentacles, but they manage to fire off the... Just in time, yeah. they manage to fire off well, the psychic bomb. Well, that's it. I mean, if you're faced with rips in reality, your only recourse is to your warp psychic bomb, really. <laughs> really, um, yeah. So they do that, and that works. And... Yeah, that's it. Isn't that's it? pretty much like, that. And then it's just a bit after that we get told that they're kind of Zahario and Luther and that are getting sent back to Caliban, and that's the end of it. And it did leave me. I really enjoyed it, and it left me keen to read the next Dark Angels one, which is actually not by Mitchell Scanlon. I, I looked, looked for it. I have it. I actually have the book already because oh, I, good. I saw it, and it's not. It's not the next one. It's like two or three down the down the road. But I, I saw it in a charity shop. I think so. I picked it up, but it's not by nice. It's not by Mitchell Scanlon, which is a bit of a shame. I would quite like to have, yeah, that, to like, have done the second I think, part. I think a lot of the authors do become uh, sort of associated with particular legions and stuff. Uh, but it's a shame that he isn't one of them. That's a bummer. But um, might be we'll good get, anyway. We'll get to it. What is the next book? The next book is called Legion. That is, I haven't read that one. That's about the Alpha Legion, is that right? I think so. I think I read it. I can't really remember anything. Okay, I'm pretty sure I haven't. I haven't read that one. So, um, we we got a, a suggestion uh, by one of our listeners. I won't read his name out because he didn't say that he wanted his names spread around. Uh, but he suggested a book called Inquisitor by who's it by ian watson ian watson he suggested it um because it's meant to be one of the really early books Uh, the normal things that we've come to expect from these books hasn't been established yet so everything is really up for grabs i think i've read the first couple of pages and boy it's fucking weird and i think prime a prime candidate for a bonus episode and yeah i've already got one or two quotes already <laughs> circled uh everyone you'll be unhappy to hear that it's out of print but the second hand market really does have you covered but and you, it is not- you can actually get the ebook this is the weird thing that i'll be interested to find out is that they re-released it under a different name later on which is the version that i have and you can get that as an ebook through the black library site so oh um, okay so it is still uh possible to get it 
that way. But um, what I'm kind of curious, I've read like no, I'm 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 not going to start the discussion, but I'm curious to see if there's some differences between our our editions, basically. But this is for another episode. Yeah, the the name of the person is so hilariously bad. The name of the protagonist, the inqui- the inquisitor, is so funny that yeah, you're right. Let's not talk about this. So we don't know when we're going to record that, but it'll we'll slip that in uh, somewhere in between our normal scheduled episodes whenever we can get it done. So thanks again for listening. Uh, once again, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, subscribe, uh, tell everyone, write reviews, uh, give us. Yeah, if you're going to write a review, give us a good one. If not, you know, hold your peace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how have you made it this far if you don't like it anyway. <laughs> I like I like sort of having a, a good relationship with our listeners well but keeping them at arm's length you know <laughs> you know not treating them too well um, have you got anything else to say or will we sign off this mess no I'm, I'm done uh, yeah we'll see, we'll see you next time see you then